when you pray in my name. So Jesus kind of helped us to see God as a caring, loving, aware, sensitive father instead of the kind of the fire-breathing God of the Old Testament. And they're one and the same, just two different manifestations. But Jesus said he's your dad. How many of you men are glad God is your father? And I want to encourage you. I had a, just something the, the Lord touched my heart about in the early one, and I want to say it again today. If your relationship is strained with your children, just if you're in that boat, if you're not, don't worry about it. But if, if it's strained with them, I just felt nudged in that first service to say, God can heal it, and he can bring that wall down. And I'm, I want to encourage you to believe him to do that. If that shoe fits, wear it. But I want to pray for you, man. And, you know, as soon as church is over, we've got something for you at the door, and we want you to receive it. You know, it's not much as a thought that counts, but we had you in mind. And I want you to, to look at it and, and just know that we love you as dads. And thank you for adding your strength to this church. Because this church needs dads. Amen? And uh, so, I want to, first of all, before I pray, I want everybody to give the dads a hand of appreciation, would you? Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these these dads, these strong men, these dads, these believers who have, uh, Lord, given themselves to Father God, and Lord, I know that because of that, you have helped them to be better dads. We all need to be. Uh, And so, Lord, I pray that this year, they will reflect more strongly than ever to their children the very fatherhood of God. And I pray that those, Lord, who uh, might have a strained relationship or even a totally broken relationship with their children, that this will be the year it's healed, that that wall comes down and restoration takes place. And I thank you for it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. In a world surrounded by reality TV, no modern drama compares to the scandalous, all-too-human stories written for us in the Word of God. Seductresses, killers, liars, and rebels are splashed across these pages with brutal honesty. It's their shortcomings, dishonesty, bad decisions, lust, and lies that set the stage for these infamous tales. Cain, a rebel with a lost cause. Delilah, a seductress. Samson, a he-man with a she-weakness. Jezebel, the original black magic woman. David, a wandering eye, and Eve, the deceived. In the Word of God, every story has a meaning, and every character has a purpose. There are lessons to be learned from the fatal flaws of the infamous bad boys and mean girls of the Bible. Amen. We've been talking about the bad boys, mean girls of the Bible. You know, one thing I appreciate about the Word of God, it tells the truth about the people in it. If I was going to write a book and I wanted people to believe that it came from God and I was trying to draw people into a faith in me, I would not, I would whitewash the characters and make them all look pretty well good, put them in a good light. But God tells the truth about the people in it. And some of the biographies, you've got people who were bad for a moment, you've got some that were bad for a season. You've got some that were just bad to the bone. And that's one we're going to look at today, Delilah, the wily seductress. And so I want you to stand with me to read this one verse, and we're going to pray together. And let's read Judges 16, verse 5. It says, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her, that is Delilah, and said to her, Seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. Everybody say with me, they did not have a good plan for Samson. I mean, look at those, look at those adjectives, right? Seduce him, overpower him, bind him, humble him. And then we'll each give you, Delilah, eleven hundred pieces of silver. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word and that your word is going to speak to us today. It's going to help us, Lord, to be sanctified, set apart unto you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you for your blessing on the word of God today. Will you breathe a prayer and say with me, Lord, speak to my heart. In Jesus' name, I receive your word. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before tomorrow. <laughs> Father's Day. Wow. Hard to believe. Here we are again. Now, you know, there are certain Bible stories that are immediately identifiable by a duo. The Bible gives us over and over again several duos, uh, two people, that as soon as we hear their names, we go, oh, I know that story. Give me an example. You've got David and Bathsheba. Or how about David and Goliath? Who doesn't know about that duo, David and Goliath? Or Adam and Eve. There's a duo. How about Elijah and Elisha? And then another one is always Samson and Delilah. We hear Samson and Delilah, we immediately think, oh yeah, I know that story. I know what happened. The he-man with the she-weakness, who I'm going to talk about next week. I'm going to zero in on him. I got to talk about him a little bit today because I'm dealing with Delilah, the she who was his weakness, the she that brought him down, the she that was used of the enemy to destroy him. Now, Delilah is the Bible's really great femme fatale. Femme fatale means fatal woman. Fatal woman. When you read about a femme fatale, uh, it's typically a mysterious and seductive woman whose charms ensnare her lovers, often leading them into compromising, dangerous, and deadly situations. And this was certainly the case with Samson and Delilah. The man with a strong call on his life, who had supernatural strength, the original Hercules, the real Hercules, not the Greek mythological he-man, but the real one, who broke chains like they were butter, who had supernatural strength. He was an army all wrapped up in one, Samson, Samson and Delilah. Now, we don't know much about this woman. As a matter of fact, it, we only are introduced to her within the context of her seduction of Samson. After the seduction of Samson or before the seduction of Samson, we know nothing about her. She appears and then disappears. My own suspicion, I got to tell you, is that when Samson, you know the rest of the story, uh, how his eyes were gouged out. I'm going to talk about this next week, but when he, when he gave away his secret. And he lost his strength. They gouged his eyes out. The very eyes that got him in so much trouble were gouged out. And his hair starts to grow back. When he's, when he's become a slave to the Philistines. And he's grinding at the mill. Walking around in endless vain circles. What a picture of where you end up when you walk away from God. Blinded and just walking in vain circles. A slave to your enemy. What a picture. What a tragic hero is Samson. But now his hair starts growing back and the Philistines forgot all about the fact that his, his secret was the hair. And so it starts growing back and he says to somebody standing there, he says, look, put me, son, between these two pillars. The Philistines were meeting in a huge coliseum. And they brought Samson to mock him and make fun of him. But while he's standing there, he says to this boy, he says, place me, son, in between the two pillars. Let me feel them. And he places him between the two pillars. Samson, the he-man, knows his strength has come back. Nobody else knows it. He pushes the pillars with that supernatural strength. And the entire Colosseum comes crashing down. I think Delilah was in there. Wouldn't that be poetic justice? Let me go further. I hope she was in there. I can almost hear him saying, this one's for you, baby. <laughs> mm. 
But that's my own imagination. That's not out of the Bible. Now, here's what we do know about her. We know that her name, Delilah, means she who weakened. She who weakened. Delilah was likely a Philistine woman because Samson was drawn to Philistine women. Even though God told him not to, he was drawn to Philistine women. And it's also not very likely that the Philistines were able to recruit an Israelite woman to bring down one of their heroes. So she was likely Philistine and really didn't care about this mighty man of God at all. Cared nothing about him. Delilah, we do know, was beautiful. Charming, seductive, and gutsy. Here's how she was gutsy. She was gutsy in the way that she made up her mind to go along with the Philistines and try to bring down this man who could have broken her in half like a matchstick. But she was gutsy enough to try over and over again to bring about his ruin and finally succeeded. That's Delilah. Now, her motivation for cooperating in the bring down, the destruction of Samson, was as old as the world. It's called money, C-A-S-H, cash, and a lot of it. Each of the five Philistine lords told her, look, if you will bring him down, if you will find out the secret of his strength, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, what that means in our times, that would have made her a millionaire. She would not have had to work another day in her life when she was paid 1,100 pieces of silver times five by these Philistine lords. Now, when I read this story, there were a lot of ways that I could approach this, and, and, and I really dug a lot into the story of Delilah, but the more I read about her, the more it really occurred to me that this woman is a perfect picture of the world. She is like a personification of the world. She is our world in microcosm. She is a type and a picture of the world that the Christian is told to avoid, to walk away from, to be sanctified from, to come out from. Everything about her, her methodology, her modus operandi, the way that she operated and and, 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 and successfully finally wore this man down where he gave away his secret and lost his anointing is just like the world. So I want to draw the parallel today between Delilah's techniques and how the world uses the same techniques to eventually wear down and seduce God's people. You know, every one of us this week, we dealt with the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you and I as believers have three enemies. Here's our enemies. The world the flesh, and the devil. That's our three enemies. Those are the enemies that we deal with each and every day. Now, if, you've got, if you're a believer and you've given your life to Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit, there is a target on your back. And, and, and the arrows are shot from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're in a warfare. And I know that's not news to some of you, but some of you need to wake up and realize that if you're a believer that loves Jesus, the the, the devil really does want to bring you down. He wants to make you a Samson, where your eyes are gouged out, you're walking in vain circles, and you've lost your anointing. Well, Pastor Jeff, what an uplifting Father's Day message. Oh, this is uplifting. You better believe it. Because, Because I'm telling you that God wants us to be free of this world. God wants us to officially break up with this world, and God wants us sanctified away from this world, because how can we witness to a world that we're just like? How can we reach a world that we have also bought into? No, we are here from another world. We are in the world, but not of the world. This world is not our home. One day we are really and truly going to fly away. We are going to go to glory. We're going to go to heaven. So really all the world is for us is a cheap hotel. We're only passing through. So I'm going to approach it today. I'm going to to hold up Delilah as sort of a metaphor for the world. Now you got to see at the outset... Let's be truthful right up front. Here I've got to talk about Samson for a minute. None of what happened to him would have been possible if he had not looked for love in all the wrong places. 
Remember that song? Some of you already got the tune going through your head. I can see it. But he looked for love in all the wrong places. That, that was the beginning of his mistake. See, he, he, he did not give his affections to God. So he went looking for love in all the wrong places. God had commanded Samson to, and all the Israelites, but particularly somebody like Samson, who was not only an Israelite, but was a Nazarite. He, he had, his life had been sanctified and given to God in a very unique way. That's why he didn't cut his hair. His hair represented his vow and covenant with God. And so he had been told particularly, he particularly understood, don't intermarry with the ungodly because of the power of relationship. See, nothing can take you away from God like a relationship. Do you know that? That's why the Bible says be very careful who you run with, be very careful who you marry, be very careful who you give your heart to. Because if they're not godly like you, if they're not seeking the Lord like you, there is such tremendous power to pull you away. It's one thing to befriend people in the world to win them to Jesus, but there's a line in the sand you've got to draw. I'll, I'll, I'll be a friend of you, I'll, I'll love you, but I'm not going to go where you go, and I'm not going to do what you do. I draw a line in the sand. I, I, I'm not going that way because I'm not of this world. I am his. Samson didn't do that. Here's Samson with this incredible anointing on his life, but he kept gravitating toward the forbidden relationship. When he first gravitated towards a Philistine woman before Delilah, his parents had said to him, isn't there a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson, look at all these beautiful Israeli women. Why do you have to go always inexorably to what is forbidden? What's with you? You know what the Bible says? He didn't listen to God and he didn't listen to his parents. I think he was overconfident because he was so anointed and strong he had this supernatural gift no one else had so he thought he was above counsel he thought he was above godly advice and it set him up for a tragedy you know god puts people in our lives to talk to us to speak to us to give the word of god to us and when we reject that for whatever reason it so often opens us up to a tragedy, a heartbreak. God speaks through people. He said, no, mom and dad, you know, leave me alone. I like this woman. And this woman that she talked, that they talked to him about, this woman broke his heart, helped set him on the path that finally ruined him. This woman. He yielded to the lure of Delilah. She was like, the second or third forbidden woman. Well, she, she was third. The third forbidden woman. He, he was on a, 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 a habit, a track. He, he was going this way, and it's like he wasn't going to let anybody or anything stop him. So here's what he did. He chose Delilah over his relationship with God. That's what he did. He had to make a trade. You know, let me tell you about life. Life is a series of trades. See, you made a trade today to, become, to come here. Some, this morning, some of you got up and you said, you know, wow, I'd sure like to stay home and watch TV, meet the depressed or something. That's what I call it, meet the depressed. And, 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 but you made a trade. You said, no, I think I'm going to go to the house of God and worship the Lord and listen to the word. And you know what you did? You made a good trade. I would rather be in church listening to this than meet the depressed. Anytime. Now, life is a series of trades. And sometimes we make good trades where, where our trade takes us up. And other times we make unwise trades. And that trade takes us down. Samson made a trade. He knew that this woman was forbidden. He knew it was wrong. He knew he shouldn't do it. He knew that God had forbidden it. But he said, you know what? I'm going to make a trade. I think I can do this and get away with it. I can walk the edges and get away with it 
and sort of be on the fence. You know that famous fence you're always hearing about? One foot in the world and the other foot in the kingdom of God? There is no such fence. Because as soon as you say, well, I'm going to make a trade and I'm going to go here instead of choosing my relationship with God first, you've made a trade that's going to take you down every time. It may take some time. It may not be apparent at first, but it will always bite you in the end when you make a trade that takes you away from him. It can be a person, a place, a thing, but you make that trade. And away you go. He made a trade, and he went with Delilah. So often we as Christians make a trade and we flirt with the world. Let me tell you about the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. Other versions say lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. The pride of life is when you say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I can make it on my own. I don't need God. That's the pride of life. So, so look at what James is saying. He's saying, don't make the trade. Don't trade your relationship with God for the world, he says, because this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. In other words, the person who puts Jesus first is the winner every time. Every time. Now, look at what James says. Now, remember, the world that, that I'm reading about here in the New Testament is a metaphor for Delilah, or Delilah is a metaphor for the world. Look at this. James wrote, don't you realize that friendship with Delilah, I'm sorry, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Did you hear that? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Whoa. I say it again, said James, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Look at the trade. Look at the trade. God saved me. He loves me. He gave me his son. His spirit dwells in me. But I get lured away by Delilah, lured away by the world. And when I, when I decide to be friends with the world, to take hands with the world, to agree with the world and its ways and its wicked system, I've made a trade. And I've become an enemy. I am at odds with God now. The Bible here is not talking about the beauty of God's creation when he talks about the world. It's not talking about that beautiful creation out there that I so love and appreciate each and every day. Every day. I look at the amazing creation of God. I'm amazed by everything I see, hear, taste, touch, and smell that God made. The birds, the trees, the flowers, the sky, the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, human beings, life. It amazes me, the creation of God. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't love the world. He's talking about the ways of the world that is in revolt against God. The world system that Scripture says Satan is the prince of. And this world system, Satan is the prince of, operates through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's like a great big pulsating trap. The, the Proverbs say that this world is filled with the snares of death. That, that it's, it's filled with traps, pitfalls, that snare and ruin people's lives. Because the devil is the prince of it. And the whole thing. That's why Jesus was taken up on the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil said to him, it, showed, it says he showed him all the glory and wealth of the world. And said to Jesus, I'll give you this if you'll bow down and worship me. That's the world I'm talking about. It, it, it's, it's the world that is, that's, whose ways and thoughts are totally contrary to God. It's like... If you had somebody you loved and you started hanging around with somebody 
who was their avowed enemy. What would you think about it? How can you say you love me, but you're running around with somebody who hates my guts and goes against me every single day? That's the idea here. So if you love this world system that is totally wired to reject and undermine God, you have become God's enemy. You've made a trade. So here's what Samson did. Delilah was all those things. She wasn't godly. She didn't love the Lord. She was not a part of any of the faith uh, um, tradition that Samson knew. She was totally removed from Jehovah God, but he befriended her. He drew near. He flirted. His mom and dad, you better not, better not. Ah, ah. You're old, you don't know anything. Oh, I used to say that to my parents. And then it so shocked me, one of my kids said that to me. What do you know? You're old, stale, traditional. You're not up on things. But hey, I knew I was up on a lot more than they knew. Now the second way that Delilah is like the world is once Samson was in her presence, she dedicated herself to his downfall. She's like the world. No sooner had Samson gotten in her sights than she conspired with the avowed enemies of God, the Philistines, to destroy him. Not just give him a bad day, but ruin his life. It says in the Bible, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. I want you to listen to these words again. This is what the world out there, that world that is against God, if you join it and become a part of it and think the way the world thinks and live the way the world lives, here's what it does. It overpowers you, it binds you, it afflicts you. How can I know that somebody has drifted from God and gone into the world? I will always find them overpowered, I will always find them bound, and I will always find them afflicted. That's what the world does. That's what the world does. You ever seen a fly caught in fly paper? Can't move, can't get out, stuck. Here's an even better illustration. When I was a kid, I bought a Venus flytrap. They look like this. Venus flytrap. God made them. He made them for a reason. Here's this Venus flytrap. I couldn't wait to get a fly and put it in there and see what happened. They are open. They have a kind of a pink inside. And they have a little triangular, little like three little hair-like triggers on the inside of that Venus flytrap. If that fly lands on that Venus flytrap and tricks one of those hair-like triggers just once, nothing happens. But if he tricks it a second time, either one of the three, and you hear it, <laughs> and the more he struggles the tighter it gets and then finally the the fly dies when the fly trap opens up again all that's left is a hollow shell of what used to be a fly that's the way the world does you and me You you, you, you dabble with it a little bit and you think oh I'm getting away with this you dabble one more time and there you are Some of you, truth be known, that's the way you are here today. You're caught. Because you dilly-dally with the world. First you flirt, then you flounder, then you falter, then you fall. Samson's lust blinded him to the fact that Delilah wasn't just a little bit bad. Delilah was really bad. She was money-hungry, materialistic, selfish, and self-seeking. There wasn't one redemptive thing about this woman. But he was still drawn to her. 
To destroy a powerful man of God meant nothing to her, nor does it mean anything to the godless world out there. You know why you don't hear much on something like this? Because the world doesn't preach this kind of stuff anymore. There are some people that can't listen to the word, stare at cell phones, talk to each other during the message, because it's bothering them. But we need to hear the truth about the world. The world that is fueled by the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is custom designed to destroy the walk of the believer that flirts with it. Like the world, Delilah was attractive, persuasive, promised a good time, winsome, exciting, convincing. But all the while, she was totally dedicated to destroying Samson's anointing. Church, the world is no different. That's why I said don't love the world. That's why James said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what we're called to do. We're in it but not of it. We're separated from it. We walk with him. You know, Kathy and I on the way here, we're going down the highway and I see up in the sky this huge hawk and And above him, about 10 to 20 feet above him, is a blackbird flying right over his back. And the blackbird kept dive bombing, hitting the hawk behind the back of the neck and then flying up again. And this hawk was completely befuddled. Even though he was 10 times bigger than this bird, there was nothing he could do because the blackbird was above him. Now, I know about nature. And I know that if that blackbird was 10 or 20 feet below him, that blackbird is today's lunch. If that blackbird is in the shadow of the hawk, he's going to be devoured by the hawk. But if he is above the hawk, he's going to rule over the hawk. And the reason that blackbird was chasing the hawk was because the hawk got too close to its nest. So the blackbird knew, as long as I'm above him, I will beat him. If I get below him, I'm dinner. Now listen carefully to me. You're either above the hawk or below the hawk. If you get in there with the world, the world will devour you. But if you get above, now how do you get above the hawk? The hawk being the devil, the hawk being the flesh, the hawk being the world. How do you get above it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You put Jesus first. You put Jesus first. And if you put Jesus first, you will always be above the hawk and you will be resisting him and he will be fleeing from you instead of you fleeing from him. Are you above the hawk today or are you in the hawk's shadow? Because if you're in the hawk's shadow, it's only a matter of time before we hear about it. Uh Uh-oh. Boy, they did love the Lord. They were walking so well. They got out there in the world. Well, Pastor Jeff, we can't get in the world. We're children of God. Oh, when, where, where have you been? <laughs> Who was he writing to when he wrote 1 John 2.15 when he said, don't love the world or things that are in the world? He was writing to the church. A third way that Delilah is just like the world is her perseverance in bringing him down. Three times. Are you ready? This gets me. I, I just... Next week, I'm going to have to say it. Samson has something written on his forehead. Stuck on stupid. Because this woman says to him, tell me, Samson, the source of your strength. And he played a game with her. He lied to her the first time. He said, well, here's what it is. Playing a game. All I'd have to hear from Delilah is, tell me the source of your strength, and I'm out the door. Not Samson. He said, oh, this is what it is. And she calls the Philistine men to come and jump on him. They came and jumped on him, and of course it wasn't true. He still had his strength, and she said, oh, Samson, you lied to me. (laughs) Instead of leaving, he says, I know, let's keep playing. She said, okay, a second time, give me the source of your strength. And then a third time, The man was stupid. (laughs) There's only one way to look at it. Stupid. It's like, I'll sit right here until you finally get to me. And that's what some people do with the world. 
The Bible says she persevered, she pestered, she pressed Samson. Let me read the verse. It came to pass when she pestered him daily. That word is a fancy word for nag. She nagged him daily. You don't really love me. You don't really care. If you really love me, you would tell me the secret of your strength so I could destroy you. It says, and it came to pass when she pestered him daily. How often, everybody? Daily. With her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death and he told her all his heart. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've seen Christians decide, you know what, I can run with a godless crowd and still remain holy. I can get myself in a godless environment and still keep it together. I can be there every day. I can be under the shadow of the hawk and not be consumed by the hawk. I can do that. I can get away with it. Because I'm particularly strong or because I'm me, I can get away with it. I can be in the shadow of the hawk and get away with it. And so, I've seen Christians do it. They'll say, you know, I'm going to go with people that go off the bars at night, but I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to be there with them because I like them. They're friends. We have a lot of good chemistry. Or, you know, I've heard about this new designer drug. You know what a designer drug is? It's something designed to destroy you. That's what a designer drug is. What's a designer drug? It's designed to take you down. There's not a drug you need. If you want to open up the door of the devil, go to a drug. Drugs will open the door to hell. Drugs will destroy you. So anyway... They say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to go with people that are using this drug, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to watch them do it, and, but I'm not going to do it. But one day, that crowd finally gets to you, says, here, come on, just once. I was talking to somebody just recently. They said this to me concerning crack cocaine. They said to me, Jeff, once, and when I did it once, I knew it had me. Once. <laughs> if you fart with it, the world will get you. That's the, that's the message of Delilah. That's the message. So here's where he ended up. Here's where he ended up, and here's, here's how she finally got him. Pestering him, pressuring him, pushing him, prodding him each and every day. As he placed himself under the shadow of the hawk, the hawk was able to get to him. What are you placing yourself under the shadow of every day? Anything? I hope you're placing yourself under the shadow of the Almighty. It says, she finally lulled him to sleep on her knees. And while he slept in her lap, the Philistines came in and cut his hair. He woke up. And when he saw the Philistines, it says in the Bible, he said to himself, I'm going to do what I've always done. Then the Bible says, but he didn't know God had left him. If if God told me today, Jeff, I'm done with you pastoring. I'm no longer going to be with you. You'll never see me again. Because I can't do this without him. I lean on him. I draw from him. I... I seek him. I feed on him. He's my strength. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul said? Not me. But in him and through him and by him, I can do all things. But he didn't know God had departed from him. When he woke up, he had no strength. It was over. Show me a Christian that's been lured into the world, has flirted with it too long, and has now been lulled to sleep in the world's lap. And I'll show you a Christian in danger of ruin, in danger of losing their anointing. It's not worth it. It's not a good trade. You know the rest of the story. He caved. They got him. They put his eyes out. They chained him. They put him to grinding at a mill, which put him going around in endless circles of vanity, going nowhere, getting nowhere, accomplishing nothing, a shadow of what he used to be, surely thinking, oh, if only... If only, if only I listened to mom and dad. If only I'd listened to God. If only I had stayed true to my vow to God. Endless circles. But God had mercy in the end. Gave him his strength back. And it says he took down more Philistines in his death than he had in his life. 
but what a way to go. I bring this word because this is the message of Delilah. Delilah, what do we learn from that wicked woman? We learn, don't flirt with the world, you won't win in the end. We learn, stay true to God, put him first, and you will always fly above the hawk. And you know what? The Bible says, and I'm going to close with this verse. I, I found this right before I came to church today. Listen to this. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from this present world while we're still here. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That's not talking about in the rapture. That means while I'm still in it, he's going to deliver me from the power of it. That's right. So can we stand together today? I want to pray with you. I just want to pray that if, if in some area of your life you're in Delilah's lap, you know Jesus is stronger than the world. And he can help you today. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and pray. Some of you have never known for sure that you were a believer, that, you, that Jesus was living in your heart. You go to sleep at night, your head hits the pillow, and sometimes you wonder, am I really saved? God wants to settle that question today. Some of you have drifted from the Lord because you were lured away by the pull of Delilah, a person, a place, a thing, and, and, and in some area of your life, your, 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 your head is in the lap of Delilah and, it, and it's, it's robbing you of your joy. God wants to set you free. And He is able to do it. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. First, to come to Jesus. Can we just pray that? If, if you need to come to Jesus today, I want you to pray with me. You can do it right now. Just look up to Him pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead, not only to get me to heaven, but to deliver me from the corruption of this world. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. And thank you for delivering me, Lord, from what has bound me, afflicted me, and overpowered me. And now for those who may have drifted, say with me, Lord, I ask forgiveness for drifting. I come home to you fully. Thank you for breaking the power of Delilah off my life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, with our heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer with me, one of those two prayers, will you raise your hand right where you are? Do it quickly. Let me see you. Many, many people. I want you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you, I want you to come and stand right here because I want to have a prayer with you in this altar. Because when you take a step, it's a, it's a step of faith, and it releases something in your life. Listen, if you can't come down here on a Sunday morning in front of Christians, you will never take a stand for Jesus in the world. And I want to pray for you. A prayer that God's put on my heart, I want you to come right now. I'm going to wait for you. You come right now. God's going to set you free from the spirit of Delilah, that friendship with the world. We're going, to, we're going to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
still coming. We're going to sing that one more time. Come on down. Do you feel that nudge? That's the Holy Spirit nudging you to come. Father, I just thank you right now for these precious people that the Holy Spirit has touched. I can't do this, Lord. You do this. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is of Delilah that has bound them, overpowered them, defeated them, ensnared them, I pray, break it today. Break it today. In Jesus' name, I pray it's broken. In Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, for those who have come to you, seal this great decision, this drawing of your spirit, that, Lord, they'll walk out of here with a skip in their step, smile on their face, twinkle in their eyes, because they've been given new life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now I want all of you to look up at me for a minute. I'm so glad to see men down here. Uh, you ladies as well, but I'm seeing tough-looking guys that are broken in the presence of God. And that's a beautiful thing. I want to ask all of you to go with this man into a room right beyond the stage just for a couple of minutes. Because it's very, very important that we give you something you take home with you and believe me you have this is a, a new beginning you have to establish some new habits in your life first one I'm going to be in church because I need to hear the word of God or I'm going to end up under the shadow of the hawk you've got to be above the hawk and that's one way you do it so I, we want to give you something to take home with you so if you will go with Robert right here this handsome guy in the suit. Go with him, follow him. And a couple of other prayers are going with you. So all of you, please go, would you? And I'm going to come back there. I'm going to come back there when I get, as soon as I can. Go ahead. Amen. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? God is good. How many of you are glad you came to church today? How many of you are glad that Jesus has set you free? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I want you to hang tough just for a second because this guy here, this is our children's pastor, and uh, Pastor Ray, and he's got some beautiful children with him today, and he's going to make a quick, very important announcement. This is so crucial. So go ahead, Pastor Ray. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Awesome. This morning I came to church and I started asking kids, are you ready for summer fun? They're all going, yes, we're ready. For summer fun. Summer fun university is a week-long summer camp. You go, they come here, spend, spend the day here, go home, come back the next day, all, for, all week long. It's a lot of fun. It's fantastic. And when I asked them, how many of you signed up? A few hands went up. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how many of you want to go? <sighs> hands going up all over the place. And so I brought some support this morning. Okay, so they, they want to address you themselves. Here we go. On behalf of me and my friends, please sign us up for summer fun. There you got it. Yeah. <laughs> there you got it. Now, when you go sign up, just make sure that you come and see me at this table out here. We have a book to give to you as well when you sign up. Uh, come see me at this table or see my wife at the south end table. She has all the same stuff. And uh, she's wanting to see you. If you want to sponsor a child, that's open too. We could use that as well. And if you haven't bought your Father's Day gift, run by the castle and get some very good hot sauce. Thank Amen. You. And when you men leave at every door, they're going to have something for you. Be sure you allow them to give it to you. Wednesday night, we're going through Sermon on the Mount. 
this Wednesday night, it's going to be on anger, lust, and stupid vows. How's that? Sermon on the Mount. Who's this? Oh, do you think that they should all come to Summerfront University? I don't know. They're a born saleswoman, right? Take that Thank as a yes. Thank you so much, dear. You can go on down now. Yeah. We had a car show yesterday. We had a car show. How many of you made it to the car show? We had a great car show. I had some old cars. Let me show you one of the winners. There it is. That's a 1934 Ford. That's one of the winners. And he's a member of our church. All right. Now, we also had a, a, we had a TV star. Unknown to me because I don't watch much TV. But what show is he on? Listen to all these people that knew. What's his name? I can't believe it. I feel so um, dinosaurish. I don't ever watch these things, but he was a great guy. And I want you to notice, go back and, and look at his t-shirt. Take me to the king. So there you go. So, and, you know, I saw all these people running to this one person and getting around him. And I thought, that's supposed to happen with me. No, I'm kidding. No, there he was. And I said, who is he? They said, oh, that's David. Man. And uh, so I went and met him. Great guy. And he had been driving by. He saw the signs that said car show. And he said, well, that's cool. And he was going to keep on going. Then he saw the sign that said prayer tent. And he said, the prayer tent is what made me come in. And so he went through the car show. And there I am talking to him. And that looks like his bodyguard to the far right. But that guy to the far right is a worship leader in another church. And I'm not going to tell you where. But, that's it. All right. Let's count to three. Well, actually, I'm going to hijack your count. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to count. Not only is today Father's Day, but tomorrow is also a very special day. It is Pastor Jeff's mm -hmm. birthday. It is. It is. That's right. As he told the, the, the best service, he's turning 40. It's rough reaching 40. That's right. I've really you. prayed about this milestone. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Well, we're going to shout and say happy birthday, Pastor Jeff. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Oh, and don't forget the photo op for the, all the fathers. There's a photo op out here. Take your photos. Photo tag it, op. Tag it for a yeah. TPC family on Facebook or on Twitter. We'd love to see you out there and just have a great memory. All right, okay. here we go. One, two, three. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. My world was shaking, my heart was full.